Ephesians chapter 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rich, I'll ask you to come up. I'm going to pray for you as you preach God's word this morning. God, I just ask that you'd open our hearts to your word. Help us to be humble, teachable, to receive what um, you have for us this morning. That it would affect us um, in a significant way. And we'd be more than hearers, but that it would move us to action. Speak through Rich this morning um, the words that you want us to hear. And we pray that in your name. Josh mentioned this morning, this has been a really difficult week in America. Uh, As we've seen happen all too often over the last few years, um, black men died at the hands of police officers. And when I say we see, we literally saw it. Um, We saw the videos um, of uh, of Altman and and, um, of, of those two men. And what we saw looked to an awful lot of people like those deaths did not have to happen. Now, some people simply refused um, to consider that conclusion. Instead, they say, if, if the men had just done what the officer said, they'd be alive today, and in, thus in some way they deserved it. Um, for some people who feel this way, there, there's an implicit trust. There's just we're, we're, we're just used to a mindset that Every action by police officers, or, or most action by police officers, um, we, we trust those. Um, and we believe they, they would never use deadly force unless they absolutely had to. Um, and, that, and that if these weren't justified, we couldn't possibly know that until we have all the facts. Um, but even though we don't have all the facts, one thing that we know for certain, that this did not happen because of race. Others easily reach the opposite conclusion. They have an unshakable belief that these men died for nothing, that no one will ever be held accountable for killing their son, their father, and their loved one. As so often before and certainly will happen again, a system with little regard for them will not care that there's no recognition of the harm that's been done to them. Black men will continue to believe that it can happen to them just as it happened to these two men this week, for no justifiable reason other than the cops said so. For these people, one thing that they are absolutely certain of, that this happened because of race. Predictably, people, and, and, and that we talk about these in sides is weird, but people just picked their side. They had their side. They dug in, and they let their opinions of the shootings being known, and, and, and they didn't care what their words did to other people. They didn't care how harsh they were, and they didn't care the effect that their words would have on the people who disagree with them, on the people who, who didn't know how 
um, to think about this, people who were still working to process it. And then came Dallas. The killing of five police officers, the shooting of several others. Um, the shooting of men who were serving the black community at a peaceful protest about other officers killing black men. And they were killed because another man, motivated by fear and anger and hate towards the other, decided that they had to be killed. And for a moment, for a moment, it seemed like the tone changed in a week. No longer did we just want to use our words to stake out a position, but no longer was it just anger or, 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 or just a response of anger, but, but it seemed to be a recognition of, of, and in that recognition came deep sadness and despair about what fear of the other and anger at the other and hate of the other can do. But yet the hateful comments still came. These are two I found um, Friday night and yesterday. This one towards black people. We really wanted you dead. All we'd have to do is stop patrolling your neighborhoods and wait. This one towards police officers. One bad apple spoils the bunch for me. So with that being said, they all should have been killed, and I hope it starts happening all over the country. In many ways, in so many ways, hate is winning. Race relations in this country are getting worse, they're getting more severe, and they're becoming seemingly overwhelming. And a big part of the problem is that Americans no longer see a need to even try to listen to another viewpoint on these issues. We select our own facts, we adopt our own opinions, and we refuse to consider anything that doesn't agree with them. And that refusal to consider anything that doesn't fit in with what we've already decided is how the world works, uh, leads us to moments like this, like we've seen this week. We firmly plant our flag in whatever we believe, whatever we think, and refuse to consider other people. Meanwhile, while we, are, while, while we, while we stand there with our opinions, families in Baton Rouge and in Minnesota and Dallas and so many other places that don't make the news, mourn because we won't set aside ourselves and consider the pain of those who aren't like us. This country is broken, and it's broken in this way, and it's broken in, in many other ways. And the root of that brokenness, and Josh already talked about this this morning, but uh, we can't say it often enough, the root of that brokenness is sin. It's not, and, it, and when we're talking about sins, we are talking about sins of the individuals, but we're not just talking about the sins of individual people. But what become, because when, when a person becomes many persons, becomes all the per people, and then the next generation and the next generation, we don't have the sin of a single person, we have the sin of a society. The effects of generations of man, rejection of God and his ways, and choices to do what they consider right in their own eyes. Romans 1 talks about what a people under judgment looks like. It says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. It sounds an awful lot like our country this week. But what God talks about judgment, God also talks about a solution. There is an answer um, to all of this. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, we read about how individual believers are broken by sin. Um, it tells us we were dead in our sins. We were following the world's way of doing things. We were following the passions of our bodies. 
And then come two words, maybe the best two single words that you'll find together in the Bible that changed all of that. But God, despite our sin, despite who we are, God stepped in to save us. He sent us Jesus Christ to take our punishment that our sin deserved, to raise us up, not just as survivors, but as children, dearly loved and blessed with what the Bible calls the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. That is the gospel. That is how God saves individual sinners like you, like me, forgiving us of our sins, giving us the righteousness of Christ, and making us his own as we trust in him. But the gospel is not just a solution for our own individual sins. It's not just about saving one soul and then one soul and then one soul. Um, but it is also a solution to these bigger problems of sin that affect us all as a people, as a country, as a world. The gospel is not just a story about how God saves individual sinners for their sake. It is also the story of how God is redeeming everything. It's a story of creation, how God made all things, and he said, this is good. And then he made men and women, and he said, this is very good. Um, and then it's the story of, of what we call corruption, how we, we, we took all that, we, we, we took this perfection, and we said, we don't want that. We want ourselves. And so when that happened, it wasn't just us who fall, but all of creation became cursed. We will have disease, we will have disaster, and yes, we will have things like war and genocide and racism. But it's not just a story of corruption, it's a story of redemption. It's a redemption of God, that God sent Jesus not only to forgive individual sinners and save his individual children, but to establish his kingdom. And what is a kingdom? When we say the kingdom of God, we're talking about a people who will um, live with him not just as a savior, but as a king who will lead us to live in this world as witnesses of his greatness and his goodness. We are subjects of a king, and we lead out in a way that shows that his kingdom is real. And finally, it's the story of restoration, or what we'll call consummation. Um, the Bible tells us that, that through Christ, God is making all things new. That creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. How there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more tears, there will be no more hate. And yes, there will be no more racism. How we live with him forever and want nothing more than relationship with him. That's, that's what we look forward to. As God is doing that, as God is leading us to that day when he is carrying out um, his grand plan of redemption, um, that, that redemption being the gospel on a global, universal scale, um, um, and he's carrying out making all things. He's using a specific tool, and that specific tool for his restoration is us. The church is the means by which God is bringing his kingdom to the world. And today, we're going to see here in the example of Paul that God wants to use us to bring the gospel to the world, that he has given us a great responsibility to tell and show the world his story, um, the gospel story, and what it means for the people in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our country, and in our world. God has entrusted us with the gospel for the sake of a broken world. God has entrusted us with the gospel for the sake of a broken world.
All right, so first, we, I'm, I'm using this word entrusted. What does that word entrust? What does it mean to be entrusted with the gospel? Now, you look at the text, and you see, I don't see that word. That word is not there. You'd be right. That word is not there. Um, the text doesn't use the word entrusted. Instead, it uses these three words. Um, it says, I was, quote, made a minister. Made a minister. Um, Paul says, of the gospel, I was made a minister. The word minister means this, a servant or official charged with an area of responsibility. Um, we tend to, you know, we tend to have this idea of minister. A minister is, well, that's a church guy who leads a church and stuff. But really, its base definition is that a minister is a person who's got an, who's in charge of something, uh, to oversee something, um, to be responsible for something. Um, and I think the best, easiest way to explain this is, uh, I'm assuming most people have heard of, of prime ministers. We don't have one in this country, but other countries do. England, for example, Canada, places like that, have what are called a prime minister, the top minister, the top person in charge of the country. And under him are other ministers. So our, where we have a secretary of defense or a director of something, um, they have the minister of defense, the minister of finance. So, th so in, in countries that have this, they, they have this idea. They're responsible for those areas of government. Um, um, Paul is a minister of the gospel. He is charged with it, he is responsible for it, and he is responsible to it. Um, and then when we look and see, well, what we look at this word entrusted, and we see that, it, that that's what it means. It's to give, the word entrusted means to give someone the responsibility of doing something or of caring for someone or something. So we can say that Paul was entrusted with the gospel. Um, Paul was entrusted with the gospel. He was given responsibility for it. He was uh, uh, the, the responsibility to care for it and the responsibility to use it for what God wanted it used for. So if this is a story about Paul, does it apply to us? Um, you know, Paul was an apostle. His job was to help build, you know, build the first church. Maybe, you know, sometimes we look at things and go, well, maybe what's for Paul is just Paul. And that's, uh, no, it's not true. It, it does apply to us. The answer to that question is yes. This, does, this story applies to us. Paul's, Paul's words about himself applies to us. First Peter chapter 2 refers to all Christians as a holy and a royal priesthood whose job is to offer spiritual sacrifices and to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. That's what ministers do. Um, that's what... Um, that's not just what pastors do, but that's what ministers do, and that's what we all um, do. All who are in Christ um, are his ministers. They are ministers of the gospel. Um, we are all entrusted with it. We are all responsible for it, and we are all called to use it for God once. Okay, so we have been entrusted with the, with the gospel. How? How did that happen? How did we I mean, you know, you tell me you have the story of the God of the universe who's create, who has who, who figured out this grand scheme to redeem people and redeem uh, a, 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 an entire creation, and he says, and you, Rich, are a minister of that gospel. And I'm like, wow, you've picked poorly. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a question that you think I don't, you know, it's not just I don't deserve this. I'm like, I'm really grossly unqualified for this job. Um, so, so how, how does that happen that God had said, you know what, I, I have ultimate power over everything, and my choice is to use people, to use my people. How does that happen? Let's read verse 7 again. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So the first thing we see is that we are entrusted with the gospel by the power of God. We are entrusted with the gospel by the power of God. Of God. Paul said that he was made a ministry. 
He was made a minister. He didn't make himself a minister. He was made a minister. It happened to him. Um, His ministry was given to him. He didn't take it. He didn't go get it. It was given to him, and that it was done through the working of his, God's, power. All of these words and phrases tell us that the ministry of the gospel that we have, we have because of what God has done um, for us and God has done in us through the gospel. We did not save ourselves. We did not choose to have Christ save us. Instead, God took our dead hearts. Dead means dead. Dead doesn't mean mostly dead. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean dying. It means dead. Uh, took a dead heart, sent his Holy Spirit to it, and brought it to life by giving us the gift of faith. That is his power. We, we become his by his power, not by our own. Romans 1.16 tells us that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Why wasn't he ashamed of the gospel? For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel itself that we are entrusted with is God's power. When we recognize our sin, when we repent, and when we trust in Christ to redeem us, to save us, and to be our God, that is his power changing our hearts. Um, the, the, The power comes through the gospel through salvation. Um, it also comes to us through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Ephesians 3.16 says that God strengthens us with his power toward, through his spirit in our inner being. Basically saying his spirit inside of us gives us the power um, to grow us inside, to, to, to change our hearts, um, to, to make us more like him. Um, but it's not just about us. It's not just about what he does on the inside. Acts, Acts 1 verse, uh, excuse me, Acts 1 verse 8 um, Jesus says that his disciples, his followers, that's who we are, we are his followers, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. And then he says, you're going to be my witnesses here, and then you're going to be out there, and you're going to be over there, and you're going to be my witnesses everywhere to the ends of the earth. His power gives us the power to live out what he changes on the inside out into the world, to be his witnesses. So what does that mean for us? If, if, if we are manifested by the power of God, if he gives us the power to be his ministers, what that means is that we are able. We are able. God is on our side. He is in us. We need not worry that we are unqualified. I don't have to worry that I thought it was a poor choice. God said, me in you is a perfectly excellent choice because that's me in you. Um, we don't have to worry about that. All we do is we, is we be faithful and, and, and be the ministers he's already making us into. Now, sure, we're going to study. We're going to gather together to learn, to talk, to pray, to read, um, to better understand that which we, are, um, that which we already are. Um, but we should not fear that we're not able to do this. We shouldn't be afraid that we don't have it in us to be the ministers of the gospel, to, to be able to tell the world about how great Jesus is and what he has done for us. We are able um, because of God's power. Um, second, we are entrusted with God in a spirit of humility. We are entrusted with the gospel in a spirit of humility. Let's read, um, we're gonna, I'm going to read seven again and then on to eight. Um, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Um, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Um, here we see Paul recognize that his calling to be a minister of the gospel is not because he is smarter or better or holier, um, but because of God. Because God is smarter and better and holier. 
Um, and because Paul knows this about him, because Paul understands that he is the least, he doesn't regard the gospel selfishly. He doesn't regard his role arrogantly. Um, he, he, he doesn't puff himself up because he has this responsibility. First, he recognizes that his life and his work for Christ is according to the gift of God's grace. All that he is in Christ was because God was gracious to him and merciful to him, not because he was worth it, not because he did anything to earn it, not because um, he said the right prayer and made God do it. Um, no, uh, um, he, he knows it wasn't because of anything he did. He's not worth it. He didn't earn it. That's why we call grace unmerited flavor, favor. It's not what we have done, but what he has done um, to, um, to make us his and to make us his ministers. Second, um, not only does he not take credit for his faith and ministry, he accords that all to, to God, he goes the extra shep, step of showing the world how unworthy of Christ that he is. Um, he recognizes himself as being the very least of all the saints. In other words, the very worst guy that God could come up with to be his representative on earth. And I always read that, and I'm like, wow, if that's Paul, what am I? <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's, it's staggering to see that, uh, to see um, that kind of, of humility. And it's not, and this isn't like Paul say, well, I'm going to pull this out for this letter. And the other letters, I'm going to, you know, I'll tell them, I'm, I'm really great. No, other places he calls himself unworthy to be called an apostle um, because of his earlier persecution in the church. And another, he calls himself the foremost of sinners. Not only am I like the worst guy on God's team, I'm the worst guy of all of them. Um, the ones that aren't, I'm the lowest. There isn't anybody worse than me. Paul sees himself as he truly was. How does Paul, how can Paul say that? Because Paul knows his heart. Which is the same reason I can say, Paul was wrong. It's the one thing in the Bible that I know is wrong. Paul was wrong. I'm the worst sinner um, that I know. I'm the least qualified um, person. Um, Paul sees himself as he truly was. He knows his heart. A terrible sinner who repeatedly offended a holy God with his life. And thus he recognizes um, that who he is, is in Christ is because of Christ, um, and not because of himself. This is true humility. And his humility impacts his ministry because he has no regard for himself. He is free, and he is free to preach to the Gentiles. Now, we see that, and we see Gentiles, and we go, oh, he's free to preach to the Gentiles. But understand, that's a big, big deal. Um, Puglis talked about that all last week. Um, uh, and for those of you who talked about how scandalous it was and how and actually called it a mystery how God how God sent Paul to preach and to reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles when people say that the Bible doesn't have to talk about racism they don't understand what the Jews and the Gentiles meant the Jews hated despised the Gentiles the Gentiles had always been their enemy the Gentiles had conquered them repeatedly the Gentiles were lower than low and Paul, whereas the Jews were God's chosen people. It's like, it was easy. Our team, their team, we're good, they're bad, done. And so, Paul, and then Paul comes and says, and this is humility, and says, no, it's not our team and their team anymore. It's Christ and Christ of all of us. That was scandalous. That was humility. And, in, and that humility impacted um, his ministry. He doesn't care about himself anymore as he preaches the gospel. And we know this. We um, see in the book of Acts that Paul was repeatedly beaten and in prison 
and threatened with death, all because he was willing to see the other, the person not like him, as precious in God's eyes, one who bore God's image, and one who knows that without the gospel, they are lost forever. How relevant is that to the events of this week? Paul was willing to publicly declare that he was the worst, he was nothing, and to devote his life to reaching out to the other, to the person who's not like him, because of his love for Christ and them. We struggle to even admit that our opinions might be wrong. We don't want to admit that those whose skin is a different color might experience this society in a more difficult way than we do because of that difference. Um, we say that it, isn't, that it isn't really racism and that it isn't really a problem. That t- and that talking about race just makes everything worse. If we just stop talking about it, it won't happen. Um, and that we should, be, we should just be colorblind. And we, and we shouldn't even think about it. Brothers and sisters, that's arrogant of us. That's arrogant of us who, who have no idea. I'm good, uh, here, big honest time, I don't know what it's like to be a black person in America. I will never know what it's like to be a black person in America. Um, oh, <laughs> there's a sense in which I thought, of all people, Newt Gingrich said that yesterday. He's like, white people don't know what it means to be a black person in America. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a big deal. But that's, uh, you know, that's true of me. Um, when my brothers in Christ, and I say brothers, more than one S in Christ, tell me that they, every time they get in their car, They have to put their wallet on the dashboard instead of in their pocket because reaching for their ID in their pocket can get them shot. I have to let my opinions that aren't really formed on on anything that I know, I have to let those yield. I have to let go of those and trust the experience of those who've been there. And it's not just stories, but it's statistics. Statistics bear out that black men, and especially unarmed black men, are shot and die or die in police custody at a har- far higher rate than the population, and it, it even higher rates than, than they're, they're represented in crime rates. Um, last year, um, almost twice as many, not quite twice as many, almost twice as many white men were shot than black men. Even, w- like, it's 450 to 250, even with that, more unarmed black men were shot than white men. More unarmed black men than white men were shot. That, that suggests, at the very least, a fear of the other that we can't, um, that, 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 that we can't trust that this situation can't be resolved in any other way. And folks, racism is so much more than this one issue. Um, incarceration rates and lengths, um, incarceration rates for the same crime are typically 20% higher for black men. Educational outcomes, housing availability, hiring preferences, um, even gas and grocery prices in black neighborhoods. Um, Grocery prices will tend to be 49% higher in black neighborhoods because people don't have transportation and, and have no choices to go anywhere, and there's less stores for them to shop at. Okay? So we can talk about one thing, and we can, expect it, we can say, it's, well, it's not this. And we talk about another thing and say, well, it's not this. And we talk about another thing. But when you put it all together, maybe, just maybe, we need to think, maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Maybe this is real. And maybe it is not just you know, a, a hillbilly who hates black people, but it's, it's a thing that, it, that infects our generations and our systems. When we refuse to recognize real problems because they conflict with our opinions about how we think of the world, even if those opinions are uninformed, 
We show the opposite of humility. We deny that those who are different or think differently than, in, uh, than us are made in God's image and that they deserve to be treated justly. And that arrogance is not just limited to race. That's the issue that we're talking about this week because that's the issue that's been in the forefront this week. But it, it's more than that. We communicate hate when we elevate our opinions to express their superiority other, over those who don't. And I know when we're posting on Facebook, we don't think of it that way. But not everybody agrees with you on stuff, okay? And, 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 and when you say, I'm going to let you know what I think, um, a lot of times you're saying, and I don't care what you think. So when we communicate um, that, that I vote for this political party and you don't, that's arrogance. Um, when, we, when we communicate and elevate our opinions about how we educate our children, because they don't have to do it the same way we do it. Eat, they don't eat the same diets we eat. They don't struggle with the same sins that we struggle with. Um, um, every, every time that our opinion means more than people, what we're saying is that we love our opinions more than we love people. And that is arrogance. That is love of ourselves more than, more than others. It's too easy to love our opinions more than we love people. We need to repent of that. We need to turn aside from the arrogance of the love of our own point of view. Anything uh, that we believe that is not a gospel issue, that isn't about who God is, what he has done through Jesus, and how we live in the light of that, we've got to hold that loosely, and we have to be willing to let it go if it hurts, our, if it hurts brothers and sisters. We, we just need to. We do that not for ourselves, not just for them, but we do it for the sake of the gospel. We desperately need the kind of humility that Paul has talked about. And, and what we show when we have that humility, when we're willing to set aside ourselves and say, no, I don't need to, I don't need to defend me anymore. I can, be, I can be who God wants me to be. We show that we are willing. Just like God's power made us able, the humility that we find in Christ makes us willing. When we no longer care about ourselves more than others, we, all of our reasons for not, not serving the gospel, not reaching out, not telling people about Jesus, all those things go away. We don't, we don't care about fair rejection anymore. It's not us being rejected. And we don't worry about results. And yes, we don't worry about ideas that conflict with things that we've believed or other causes we have championed. We don't let those things stop us from being a minister of the gospel. Um, we, because um, we can show we are entrusted with the gospel in a spirit of humility, we are willing to be the ministers of the gospel. Um, finally, uh, so we've looked at um, what it means to be entrusted with the gospel and how we are entrusted to the gospel. Finally, let's look at why we are entrusted to the gospel. What is, okay, so we've got the gospel. I, I, I'm a minister of the gospel. I got a God. What do I do? <laughs> what do I do with that? We can say that, but it's like, what do I do with that? Um, Paul mentions three callings that he has that we share in. So let's, can, let's uh, go back, read verse 8 again, and we'll read through to the rest of the passage. To me, though I'm the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Lots of words there. Um, let's, make, let's, let's simplify a little bit. First, we are called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We're called to tell this world about Jesus. We're called to tell him about our Jesus, how good he is, and how he can overcome even the worst things in this life. And as we've talked about a lot this morning, this world is broken. We live in a broken nation in a broken world. It's fallen. It's hurting. It needs, it needs Jesus. 
if we believe in, in, in the Jesus that we say we do, we believe in a God with the power to fix all that, and we believe in this promise that he wants to and he will do it. If we do that, um, uh, we, we will go and tell. If we do that, we will go and tell. Well, now, now we understand it's not all gonna. It's not all gonna work out today, okay? May not work out in my lifetime. May not work out in my child's lifetime. Um, but the day is coming. He promises us um, it will be fully realized when Jesus comes back to earth. But even if it's not going to be finished today, um, Christ has already given us much that the people need already. Um, for the angry, we have a lot of people who are angry. Christ brings peace. John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, the world can't defeat the peace that we have um, in Christ because the peace we have in Christ is a peace that reconciles us to God. For the weary, this week a lot of people just said, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. This, it, it just it happened again, and I'm just tired of it. Um, for the tired, for the weary, Christ brings rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. For those who hurt or mourn, um, Jesus brings comfort. Second Corinthians first, uh, one. Uh, excuse me. Second Corinthians one, chapters, uh, verses three through four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us with all in all of our affliction. Um, he will comfort us in our troubles. He he brings. Um, he brings comfort to the morning. In the here and now, right now, not, not what he's going to do, but in the here and now, Jesus gives to those who are in need um, much. He gives a lot. Um, he gives peace with God. He gives comfort. He gives joy. He gives gentleness. He gives kindness. There's so many things that Jesus gives us um, that already does in the world, and that we can tell the world about. We can tell the world that Jesus brings these stuff. We, in fact, we don't not only can, we must. We must tell people who need him about him and how he can be there for them, which is the second thing um, we do. We are called not only to preach how great Christ is, how great Jesus is, we are called to bring the light of Christ for everyone, and that is the, the light of Christ. We mean the gospel. Um, Paul, again, refers, and he refers to this concept of the mystery hidden for ages in God. And, and, and that's just a, 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 and you, you, I, I, there's kind of a way you just have to trust me in saying, that's the gospel. Um, God has hidden it through the ages. Um, from, from the beginning in Genesis uh, chapter 3, God said, um, uh, I curse you, you're fallen, you're, you know, the, you, you, you've, you've selected death and hell, therefore we've lost this relationship, you're separated me, but I'm going to fix it. I am going to send someone, and while the serpent, the one who led us here, um, is going to bruise his heel, he is going to crush the serpent's head. Um, from that moment on, there was a time, a long time, where God selected a people to show that he chooses his people, and he, he carries out um, this history of showing how God will provide, how God will save. And then, after all of those, you know, millennia, like, like four uh, millennia, after all of that, um, he sends Jesus. And he goes, this is the mystery. This is what you've been waiting for. Salvation that comes through Jesus. So when we're talking about the mystery here, we're talking about salvation. We're not only do we need to tell people that Jesus is awesome, but we need to tell people, and Jesus can be yours. You can have him. We need to tell them the gospel. We need to tell them that God 
is holy and perfect and righteous and made us to love him and to live with him and to serve him and to honor him forever. Um, we need to tell them that in sin, in our sin, which is all of us are in sin, we reject him and instead choose to live for ourselves, um, leading to our just punishment of separation from him forever in hell. Um, we need to tell them that Jesus Christ, the very son of God, um, came to fix that. He came to live the sinless life, to live fully as the father wanted him, which we didn't want to do. Um, he then died to take the punishment that we earned. Um, that should have been ours, but he took it. And in our place, and, and then he conquered death and hell by rising from the dead. So not only did God, did Jesus take the punishment, he then dashed it. He broke it for those who are his. And we need to tell them that if you respond to that truth, if you trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins, you are forgiven, you are given Christ's righteousness, and you will live forever and ever with him. That is who we are as a church. We are people who that has happened to. Um, of all the things we have to tell the world, and we have the wor tell, tell the world a lot, we need to tell them why the things that happened this week are tragic, and, they, and, they, and, they, and God hates those things. Yes, but nothing that we have to tell the world is more important than this, that God came to save them from their sins through Jesus Christ. So we are called um, to, to tell them the gospel. Finally, um, last thing that we do with the gospel. We are called as a church to make all things about God known to all of creation. Um, this, verse where it talks, this last verse talks about um, letting the manifold wisdom of God um, be known. Um, the manifold, manifold just means lots. Um, the many-faceted lots of aspects of, the, of, of, his, um, of his holiness, of his greatness, of his goodness. Um, we, we need to tell the world everything about him and how he affects everything in this world. Um, God, the gospel is not, it, as I said, it is the story of saving sinners, but it's not just the story of saving sinners. It's the story of redeeming his whole creation. Um, it tells us that we're supposed to make this known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is one of those theological words and, and, and terms that we have um, people who disagree on what it means. Some commentators say that this refers to the angels, that angels are other created beings, that they're, and we're going to tell them, that God who's sitting right there and you know, he's really awesome, okay? You know, that, that, that we're going to tell them, he's making it all new. They, I mean, they know, but um, he's told them because they come and told us, but, but we're to tell them. And, and some people say it actually refers to the, 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 the rulers of this earth, which aren't, aren't you know, like, like Obama and Putin, but are like um, Satan, and his demons, that, that, it's, um, that it's those authorities who, who God has given authority to roam the earth for now and do his worst, um, that, that we're supposed to proclaim, proclaim to him, no, you don't win. Jesus wins. This world's getting remade, and, and, and you're doomed forever. And still others think it refers to the cosmos, literally, the things that we see in the heavens, the stars, the suns, the moons, all those things. Um, um, we declare um, what God has done, and what is doing to everything. I think we just say angels, demons, stars, whatever. Everything, all of creation needs to hear um, that story. If we are faithful to do that, God will do through the gospel what he does. And that is change people. He'll change people one at a time. But if one person changes, one person changes. One, and he can change. He can change so many. Um, and this change applies to the issue of racism we've talked about. In the gospel, we recognize that God created all men in his own image. That they were very good. So we can mourn and even express outrage when a man who is an image bearer of God is killed. In the gospel, remember that God hates injustice so much that Christ gave his life to satisfy God's justice. 
Um, so we can challenge racial injustice in the forms it takes. We're willing to listen, we're willing to serve, and we're willing to speak up um, to those who will listen to us. In the gospel, God adopts those who are his and makes us one. So we can seek unity with us, even if we look different or we come from different backgrounds. We have unity. And in the gospel, we look forward to Christ restoring all things. Um, and here, this last verse we're going to look at, Revelation 7, 9, tells us what that's going to look like. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Every nation, all tribes, all languages. Even as we are united in Christ, we are not made the same in Christ. We're still going to bear our differences throughout eternity so that all, all uh, tribes, all nations, all languages, all, quote, races, um, um, will be together as one celebrating our diversity, not ignoring it, not pretending it doesn't exist, but celebrating because it's who God created us as to be. The gospel bears on this issue because it bears on all of life, and God has invited us, called us to faithfully proclaim his gospel as individuals to those who cross our paths and as a church to our community and our world. The gospel is not just the story of how God saves sinners, but how he redeems everything. Let us be faithful in proclaiming that gospel in every sphere of our lives. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, and, and I'll be honest, this has been a heavy week. Um, um, it's been a hard week. It should be, or at least, Lord, I pray that it's been a hard week. I pray that the things that have happened this week, um, uh, of men dying, I, that, that alone, death alone should be a reason for us to mourn. We don't have to wait and figure out, well, did he deserve it? We don't have to wait to find out what motivations were. We can just mourn because people you love and died for died. Lord, um, forgive us um, if apathy has been how we've approached this week. Forgive us um, that we've loved our opinions more than people. And Lord, let us trust um, that you have entrusted us um, to share your gospel, the gospel of how you save sinners and how you redeem us us and everything um, through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, I just offer up our prayers and I, I dedicate us all um, in our unity and in our diversity um, to you and your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.